0: COVID may have shed a larger light on those facing food insecurities in our community, but with inflation, supply chain issues, and continued uncertainties around the pandemic, this is an issue that will not go away anytime soon. We're talking to the Chambers Nonprofit of the Year on this episode of Range of Influence. Welcome to the Columbia County Chambers podcast ROI or Range of Influence, presented by Premier Networks. As always, I'm Russell Hodney, President and CEO of the Columbia County Chamber, and co-host of the podcast with my friend and past chair of the Chambers board, Reagan Williams, who also serves as the Senior Vice President of Maybaum Real Estate. Reagan, can you tell them, uh, our audience about today's guest?
1: Well, Russ, today we've invited Amy Brightman, the executive director of the Golden Harvest Food Bank and recent winner of the chamber's Nonprofit of the Year Award to talk about issues surrounding food insecurities and how the business community can play a supporting role in this persistent issue.
0: We'll get right to the interview after this message from our presenting sponsor, Premier Networks.
1: Premier Networks is the premier information technology and cybersecurity firm in the CSRA. You have enough to worry about for your business. Leave it to the Augusta IT guys to ensure your IT is done right. No ironclad contracts, no fine print, just fast, reliable technology. From an experienced customer-centric team, locally owned, call for a free cyber assessment. Because in 2021, IT has to be right. Premier Networks, the official IT partner of the Augusta Green
0: Jackets. Welcome in the studio Amy.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Well, hey, I wanted to dive in to the conversation just knowing that uh, a couple months ago at the Chamber's Annual Banquet, uh, you guys were named the Nonprofit of the Year. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. It's, it's It's a huge compliment to what you guys do in the community, but tell us maybe a little bit about what that means to your organization.
2: Sure. Gosh, that meant so much to us and As you saw during the award, I was quite taken aback by (laughs) that award and accepted it on behalf of our more than 55 employees and 175 partner agencies that did really hard work, especially during COVID. I think that it was really, you know, unprecedented what we were able to accomplish in that year. And it meant so much to our team because what many people may not realize is that although we look at healthcare workers and say, oh, they never went home and they were working 100-hour weeks. we were in the same position. You know, we were working harder and longer hours than we ever had before to meet the increased need. And so it just came at a time where it just felt like the community really recognized the hard work that the team had done and that our partners had done and our volunteers and our community members who stepped up and got the work done. So we're so, so grateful.
0: Well, you mentioned COVID and, you know, obviously um, COVID really kind of put a grip on our country last year. Um, And that had a ripple effect. I guess the question is, how did you guys respond to so many people suddenly being out of work and needing a little bit more uh, to make ends meet?
2: Well, the first thing that we realized is that we were about to lose 1,100 volunteers a month. So we rely heavily on volunteers to do the work that we do. We also rely on 175 partner agencies that are mainly run, a lot of them are run by seniors and folks who were compromised and and couldn't open their doors. And so we knew we had to change the complete structure of how we were feeding people, especially in our rural counties, that we didn't have as much support out there. So the huge blessing was we were assigned um, through the state, through the government, office uh, 20 National Guard um, men and women on mission and their only mission was to work at our food bank uh, more than 40 hours a week helping us to move food so that completely changed what we were able to do and, and allowed us to keep moving food so what, what we saw really is is an initial as everyone so much fear we saw a lot of families uh, and children seniors folks who were out of work, many, many people who were navigating the charitable food system for the first time. They had never thought about getting in a line for food. They had never uh, thought about how do I get on SNAP benefits? How do, I get, how do I get help from my local food pantry? And so, so much of our job became educating folks that we were there and we were going to show up. We started doing mobile markets, which is not something that we typically do. It's not a model that we were using before very often. Uh, Mostly our, we were, you know, we're a warehouse, uh, warehouse space and we have two, really four locations. But, you know, our job is to move those millions of pounds of food into agencies and for them to do the direct support to the hungry. Well, that model completely changed and we were the ones who were literally putting food into people's trunks and so that meant a complete shift in in our mindset and we provided more than uh, 200 I think the number right now is about 220 mobile markets uh, during that time which meant we took truckloads and truckloads of food out with our military and we put food into trunks after asking people some questions and I think that what struck me the most is you know I was in the trenches with my team for all those months and and out there on the front lines with them and the stories that I heard you know of of moms who were just, you know, their kids were out of school now, and um, grandparents who were caring for children or were afraid to get out. And there was a, you know we know uh, we were struggling to get toilet paper, and here were people that were already maybe just a little bit on the edge who just all of a sudden found themselves food insecure. So we really saw about a twenty six percent increase in uh, the needs in our communities in our twenty five counties. and we distributed about eighteen million meals, which is twenty two million pounds. so, um, a huge increase over what we had seen in the
1: past. 26% increase, I mean, it's that's, that's a staggering number to hear. I mean, really, and so I mean, you expect those that were, as you mentioned, food insecure before COVID to have all those families who really never considered that to be something that they would face in their life to then be faced with this really daunting challenge of where are we gonna get our next meal? How am I gonna feed my children? And for you guys to be able to provide that, that that's, I mean, it's phenomenal. Um, I'm sure within that there was some supply chain issues or issues getting food. I know we were all out of toilet paper. You mentioned that. It struggled to get that. Uh, you know I think I'm really interested. I know our listeners would be. You know what kind of challenges did you guys face to, did we face to make sure that people could get food?
2: Sure. So as you know, I mean we're still seeing disruption in a lot of the chains of things that we're getting, and Uh, at the time, at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw things like um, aluminum can production had stopped or like the ham plant closed down in the Midwest. And so there was all this disruption in the food that they kept saying, it's coming, it's coming, but we didn't have truck drivers, you know, or so there was just a a ton of ways that things got interrupted. And so we had to just really rely, we had to purchase more food. Um, You know, we rely heavily on um, federal and state programs to provide food and they really did come through, but sometimes it was delayed you know, because of just the supply chain issues. And so we had to supplement a lot. And then things like boxes, you know, you think about if we're doing over 200 mobile markets and you're looking at two to four to six, 800 families each market, that's a lot of boxes. And I don't know if you tried to find boxes during the pandemic, but it wasn't real easy. The other thing we found a problem with is um, we were granted some money through Feeding America to build up the capacity of our uh, pantries and our own storage so that we could make sure we could accommodate the increased 26% need We couldn't find refrigerators and freezers anywhere in the country to purchase even though we had grant money to do that. So on so many levels everywhere we turned we had a challenge and so it was like how are we going to do this and um, miraculously a lot of that you know eventually worked out but we are still seeing you know some disruption in the chain there.
1: Did you have to prioritize in any way or or, uh, figure out ways to meet those needs by you know I'm sure some people were told no on occasion that we just don't have enough. I mean, how did you guys work through all those people that have, I guess, come to rely on you and then all the new families that were coming to you?
2: Sure. I think the hardest moments during the pandemic were when we had to turn cars away at the end of a line. So you probably saw some of the drone footage. I mean, we were, you know, six o'clock news, CNN for months because people, for the first time since the Great Depression, were seeing on their screens people lined up for food for miles. And so the hardest moments that we had is when we would take out, let's say, enough to feed 400 families or or a couple of truckloads of food, you know, 80,000 pounds of food, that's a lot of food. And we get to the end of the line and we're like, that's all we had with us so what we did is we worked um, collectively with our partner agencies and we would refer people you know we had a referral card but you can go to your local pantry we're gonna make sure they have food um, so just trying to work our network to make sure that no one was invisible that no one got forgotten and then identify well maybe we need to come back out here next week you know maybe this is a place where we need to come back because we're seeing a greater need and we weren't able to meet all of it this week so we're gonna come back and do it again
0: well, yeah, I think it's uh, kind of a poignant you know statement you said, you know, we haven't seen this kind of level since the depression, so obviously COVID added a, a new wrinkle and an, a whole new um, perspective on food insecurity, but let's face it, the, the problem existed before COVID, and it's going to persist uh, beyond COVID what What are some of the biggest challenges that you guys? Um, kind of see fulfilling the needs of the people in in our community moving forward?
2: Sure. So it's a really great question because uh, food insecurity was around before the the pandemic clearly we had you know if you look at our service area we have 25 counties so we have six in South Carolina and we have 19 on the Georgia side and um, I believe there's about 20 uh, 20 of those counties at least probably 23 when you really look at that are rural food deserts so they don't have they have maybe a family dollar you know they don't have a lot of fresh produce so we, we had a problem before that we were trying to tackle and with that great increase you know it just became more so we've been in the middle of a strategic plan uh in the last six months just really to to drive down on the data and look at what are the meal gaps in our service area and what we discovered is that there's an eight million meal gap in our service area so with covid and the and the increase what we know about any crisis is that the crisis isn't over even though we would like for it to be right we'd like to just go back to normal we know that those numbers are gonna be elevated for some time. What we saw after, you know, the crash of um, seven, you know, is, is we have these elevated levels of um, of food insecurity, and then, and then it, it goes down a little bit, but it plateaus out and is higher for some time. Because if you think about it now, we've still got people out of work, we've still got people struggling with childcare, we've still got um, potential schools closing down, so we're having to really be proactive and think about what are we gonna do if schools go virtual? How are we gonna step next to schools again and, and make sure that that food is getting to families? So the challenge is certainly not over. And you know our strategic plan that we'll be rolling out in the next couple of weeks is really gonna identify how, the ways that we think we can step up and do more and continue to meet this need, um, this elevated need of food. And the other thing I want to mention is, you know, a lot of people don't really understand what food security means, that term. You know, they think poverty, out of work. Uh, what we know in, in working with these families and seniors and children and backpack programs and all of that is that it's not always that these folks are at the poverty level. They may be making paycheck to paycheck, right? So you have a single mom working two or three jobs trying to support her kids. She, her money needs to go to her rent and to the health care of her children and to school supplies. And the, so least leaves very little leftover for food. So many people that we're serving are not necessarily below the poverty line, but they're really struggling with that in-between, you know, just paycheck to paycheck and getting food. Uh, the other thing that we're really focusing on is healthy food. We know that food is medicine, right? We can move a lot of junk food out into our rural counties. Is that really helping people with diabetes and kids to concentrate in school? So we're focusing a lot of funding and a lot of focus on fresh produce and making sure that people can get food that's really healthy for them and is going to help them to tackle the other challenges that they have in their life.
1: I'm interested to hear more about, and you brought up some really good points about, you know, it's kind of the security of food. but you know, food deserts is a is a term you used, and we don't hear about that ever. I mean, I'm in the real estate industry, so we, we understand what that means when it comes to, you know, putting shopping centers or grocery stores in different locations, but you know, it's not talked about nearly enough. Um, and so I would imagine, and this is just my, you know, naivete, I guess, in this whole, you know, understanding of, of, of that process, but some folks and families, I imagine, may have some of the means to, to purchase food or provide for their family. But there's no place for them to get anything good and healthy. So you mentioned you might have a rural community with just a Dollar General or some some kind of small, um, you know, grocery store, but not really a grocery store. It's just got your junk foods and stuff. So you know, what are, are you guys doing or what can our community do to make sure that we're able to close those gaps so that we don't have these these large food deserts where there's not really good food options?
2: Right, it's a great question. So yes, so it's really an access issue. So when you're talking about a food desert, it's, it's that you don't have access to healthy, nutritious food. And so when you don't have access, you don't have a lot of options. And so some of what we've been doing, um, I'm really proud of the relationship we've had with Augusta University. Healthcare system, we have gone out to rural communities and done distributions of food and brought AU Health alongside us to get vaccines and food at the same time so that we know if they're having trouble accessing food, they're probably having trouble accessing healthcare as well, and that it's really important to get the vaccine out there. So I think what our community can do is, you know, be aware. You know, if you look at even at Richmond County, we used to have that Kroger downtown and that's no longer there. So if you're living in downtown Augusta, where is it that you go to a grocery store? You know, there there isn't one. And so those are, I think, challenges we have to look at um, at the local, city, and state level as to, you know, where do we need to put funding? How do we need to address this? Another thing I'm really proud of as, as, as a food bank is we are part of the Feeding America network, and so we're part of 200 food banks across the country, and we're charged with our 25 counties, our 11,000-square-mile service area. And through our relationship with Feeding America... We have relationships with all major retailers, all local, state, and national farmers, and so we can work with them. You probably saw a lot of this during the pandemic where they're like, they're dumping milk because they can't get it somewhere. So, you know, we Feeding America would work with those organizations and farmers and say, like, well, let's purchase it and get those to the food banks and get it to people that need it. So we still need more of that. You know, we need a recognition of... It's it's clear that we have enough food in this country to feed everyone. That's not that's not the problem. It's an access problem, and it's a getting it to the people that need it.
1: I can't imagine that gut feeling you and others in your industry must have had seeing images of. That kind of amount of milk and other kind of foods just being poured out. Saying we, we've got people here who could have used that. Why are we just discarding it? And I think food waste is a whole nother uh, conversation that we could have about you know our culture and just how much we waste that could be uh, given to others. You know, I. I know that we have a lot of challenges in our community, certainly, but I, I think that we have, we've got a, a very generous community and that's what I love about Augusta, right? We've got so many people who are willing to give um, and, and are so supportive. You know, for us and I, as, as leaders of the chamber and we're involved in a lot of different areas, what can our community, what can our membership, what can our business community do uh, to support you and to support organizations like yours in our, in our region?
2: sure i appreciate that so i want to back up and say how much our community has supported us like it's really incredible when i look back and when you talk about food waste we have relationships with all those retailers where we get what's called retail rescue so the things that are you know the day-old bread or uh, things that are you know not expired yet still good but maybe overstocked we work to get all of that and we're really grateful to those partners locally who do that for us And one thing we saw during the pandemic is as restaurants closed down, because as you know, most of them did at some point, if they couldn't, you know, do the curbside pickup, they were closing down. They would call us and say, I've got a freezer full of meat. You know, this is going to go bad. Let me get it to you. And they thought of us. And that was so powerful and um, so redemptive of that moment. So I think what our community can do, especially the business community, you know, we need corporate partners. We need financial support. Um, we have a, a huge campaign that we do in October called Spooky to be Hungry. And we have sponsors for that, that, that sponsor that. We're in our 29th year. Um, it's kind of a household name. People know that in October we do Spooky to be Hungry. And we've, we've kind of pivoted that program to be from picking up food at people's doorsteps to being a virtual campaign. So people can donate online. And every dollar that we receive, we can purchase three meals for families. So we have tremendous purchasing power through the food bank because of our relationships. You know, you can go buy a jar of peanut butter. I can buy 10 of them for what you're paying for one. So we really encourage people to give financially because that just helps us stretch that dollar further. So our corporate partners um, help in many ways, you know, volunteering. We've reopened our volunteer program uh, safely, and we've got uh, corporate teams that come down and help us serve at the master's table. Soup Kitchen, uh, which we serve 200 folks every single day of the year. We never closed. We're really proud of that during COVID. Uh, we, we kept that open because of a lot of our community partners. We've also got opportunities for sorting and uh, packing food boxes. We've got opportunities on mobile markets to come out and help. So there's really kind of something for everyone. You know, it's, it's companies can support us financially. They can also show up and help us with their volunteer groups. It's a good uh, bonding time for their team as well to serve together where we are.
1: Well, if one of our companies, membership uh, companies or, or some of the employees or some of our listeners just wanted to, to do that to support you financially or volunteer, how, how would they do that?
2: So the best way is just to go to goldenharvest.org and uh, click on volunteer or donate. We also have um, spooky to be which uh, we're launching out. We're already getting our corporate sponsors involved there and our team captains who will be raising money for us in October. So we've got a wealth of resources right there on our website.
0: Excellent, you know you kind of talked about some of the corporate people in the community and and i mean, I had the great honor of uh, shortly after moving here coming in and touring your facility. You were so kind to walk me through and and I mean just seeing the way you're able to leverage those relationships in the community i mean uh, we had a a very obviously large sporting event that didn't happen. Um, And, you know, you guys became a benefactor of the fact that there was extra Uh, food. And I don't know if you can name names or anything, but obviously uh, uh, most people can pick up on what I'm talking about. But, you know, having those relationships, I I think is so great. And, you know, I've heard that there was some some fun around uh, being able to to distribute some of that stuff in the the community. I don't know if you want to touch on that at all.
2: Well, that was a beautiful thing. I mean, you know, the Augusta National reached out to us when the Masters tournament was postponed canceled you know moved to you know was there was a lot of chaos there but Uh, they had some product and and it was so it it was kind of a beautiful redemption of you know this this prestigious thing that happens but we're now able to serve people in our community at the master's table which is beautiful and that you know that made some international news Um, we were able to tell that story a little bit and you know that that's just one example of how people were thinking about us you know like oh I'll call the food bank and I think what a lot of people don't understand is that you know we I think they think of us as a food pantry right we're just this place where people drop off food. Um, we have millions of dollars of, of inventory in our, in our warehouse. And we have another warehouse in Aiken, South Carolina, that serves our six uh, counties there. We run the Master's Table Soup Kitchen. We run the Urban Farm downtown. Um, we have something called uh, Faith Food Factory, which is our volunteer center. So there's a lot more going on than I think the community realized. And You know if there's there's always blessings in crisis and i think the the one blessing that i see in the crisis for our food bank is just the realization of of the work that we do you know as signified by the award that we received that people saw gosh they're really you know out there serving our community and and not just the csra it's not just augusta it's 25 counties and that's that's pretty significant
0: that is, you know, we talked a lot about uh, obviously Golden Harvest Food Bank, which is very significant uh, work that you do, but uh, we always kind of like to get to know the people behind, uh, you know, the organization. And uh, so tell me, you know, nonprofit work doesn't always uh, uh, land on the list of people's, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up is an executive director of a nonprofit agency. Tell us your road to where you got to, to be the executive director of uh, Golden Harvest.
2: Sure, so there's a huge God story behind it, which I won't get into all the details of that, but. The bottom line is I've been in nonprofit leadership in some form or another for 25 years. I've always been passionate about, um, you know, what are the, who are the unseen in our community and, and how can we help? And so that's really been, you know, my master's is in counseling. My undergrad is in English education. So I've always been interested in solving problems, solving community problems. And so... My background is, um, well, there's a few things before this, but I was one of the co-founders of the Lydia Project here in Augusta uh, that was born out of my own journey with cancer and wanting to support women who are facing cancer. And that you know, mission has grown to be uh, one that serves people nationally, has a, a large facility next to doctor's hospital, kind of like a Ronald McDonald house for cancer patients. So that was sort of one of my babies, I guess, with, with the other co-founders. And then I did some work with uh, Goodwill Industries, here in town as they built edgar's and helms college and that whole complex over there and uh, really was was part of that groundbreaking really you know innovative goodwill dreaming how how we could employ more people. And then after that, worked for my own company um, and did significant work with VBella Jewelry, which is an international nonprofit with centers in Haiti and Mexico that employs um, impoverished to support themselves and their families and keep kids out of an orphanage by creating um, fashion, so jewelry. So I was vice president of marketing for that company for a couple of years. And so, you know, my heart has always been in this work, and I think it was just really God's timing that brought me back into wanting to be do something local, wanting to be part of a team that was doing good work. I had been working, it's kind of hilarious, I was working via Zoom for about almost five years, um, remotely when I had my own business. And I said, I really wanna get back with a team and be in person. (laughs) And so that lasted, you know, a couple of months. And then we went back (laughs) on Zoom. And I'm like, well, I kind of know how to work Zoom. You know, I've done that. It's not really my favorite thing. But um, <laughs> anyway, so that's sort of the evolution. And and honestly, you know, Golden Harvest has such a rich history. We're, we're almost, we'll be in our 40th year next year with two previous executive directors who just, you know, built something from just such a small seed of faith in this community, uh, from such a, a small, just... Belief that something could be done to now this enormous organization that serves so many, and it's just a complete honor to be able to join this team. We we have some of the most passionate and talented team members in this nonprofit that I've ever experienced, and some people that have been with us for 20 or 30 years. You know they've done this work for a long time, so I just feel really honored to have landed here. And uh, I joked last week that. Uh, we use this little quote uh, scripture as I was training my leadership team at the beginning. That you know, for such a time as this, and I didn't know it was really for such a time as this. You know, like this was a little bit more of a time than I anticipated coming in, but it's been a, a true honor.
1: Well, you know, our podcast is ROI. It's a little play on words of return on investment, but we're a range of influence. We're looking for. Uh, you know, to have conversations with individuals, organizations, and companies that are are not just seeing a return on their investment in the community, but really having, you know, significant influence. Uh, And so, you know, I I think the influence that Golden Harvest is having, that you are having, Amy, on on our community is is tremendous. Um, One thing we like to always end with in our conversation is uh, certainly we see you as an influencer, but we wanna know who's influenced you. Uh, maybe mom or dad or something like that, but, you know, who in your life has has been uh, a significant influence and maybe somebody who's still influencing you today?
2: Sure. There's so many. I don't think anyone gets to any place of leadership without true mentorship from others, you know, and, and just people pouring into them and believing in them. Um, I mean, you know, I can talk about my husband all day long and the, and the support he's given me and in stepping into my calling, but I think that I would have to say the other nonprofit leaders that I've worked with over the years, um, you know Jim Stiff at Goodwill Industries, being a dreamer and an innovator, and someone who pushed boundaries and didn't give up on things that that were important. Um, I could name many others. There's just a lot of nonprofit leaders I think that I looked to and I I mentored under and just saw how they stepped out. And I think that um, my faith has also just really dictated, you know especially during covid there's a lot of days that you can you know choose fear or you can choose faith and i think that you know i just sort of tap back into you know we're all called to something for a reason and and our job is to do the best we can do today and then to have some boundaries and go home and i and i learned that from a lot of mentors over the years who just gave their best but also were able to have um, boundaries about some personal time and some personal space and i try to pass that on to my team that you know we're going to work hard really but we're also going to play hard and we're going to, you know, laugh when we can because it's it's tough work. So I would I would just have to say I, I can't name a lot of names. I just there's a, probably a dozen nonprofit leaders that over the years have poured into me and mentored me.
0: Yeah. You know, Amy, you have said a, a couple of things that really kind of stand out to me. You know, first and foremost, you know, obviously me being also in the nonprofit world. You know, that network of, of other nonprofits is so valuable, more, more so than most people understand. Um, and they're always so gracious to offer advice and support. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, on the outside think, oh, they're competitors. But at the end of the day, we're all kind of in it at the same time doing the same thing for the greater good of the community and nobody's going to turn to uh, their back to another you know somebody that who's asking for support so i think that's so key that you say that but uh, i also just you know I, I think about this and i think about where we are in our our world right now and i just want everybody to 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 really know that you guys are there and and you know if you if anybody can be out there supporting you guys because Let's face it, maybe the pandemic is here a little bit longer, maybe it's not, but you know what we're seeing as far as inflation and other things happening right now, it's just tightening that belt a little bit more and a little bit more where somebody who may have been secure now finds themselves on the edge of being in that food insecure range. And your guys' support for our community is just, I mean, it, it's a lifeline for many people. So- I just want to say from the chamber and on behalf of our membership in the community, thank you guys for what you guys do. We really appreciate your guys' you know, work out there. Reagan, I hope the uh, pressure that they saw coming out of the pandemic is over, but we know there's always going to be a need for the services that Golden Harvest Food Bank provides for the community.
1: For sure. You know, the Golden Harvest Food Bank is such an integral part of this community and what they do for our entire region is admirable.
0: Well, again, we thank you all for tuning in and supporting the Columbia County Chamber podcast Range of Influence. I want to give a shout out to our podcast editor, Kimberly Lahodny, for her time and expertise in making us sound good every episode. And if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe through your favorite podcast app. And please share your favorite episode with your friends and colleagues to help us grow.
1: And as always, we want to give a shout out to our presenting sponsor, Premier Networks. This podcast would not be possible without their support. Be sure to visit them at AugustaITGuys.com. Again, that's AugustaITGuys.com.